0: Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning, welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, it's great to be with you today. I continue uh, to share with you insights into the Mass. My goal is to have your life be transformed by the source and summit, the center of our Catholic faith. Today, I dive into the theme of Christ's presence in the priest. I love this, to be able to appreciate the fact that Christ established the priesthood, and sacramentally he continues through the the gift of ordination to minister as the great high priest through our priests at every mass. and we are drawn into that encounter. We'll discover that today on Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Carran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in Welcome back. Today, um, we're going to focus on the presence of Jesus Christ in the priest. I got a question for you. What was the greatest mass, the most outstanding mass you have ever been to? What mass was that? I'm going to tell you about the most outstanding mass, the memorable, greatest mass I've ever been to. It was in the Easter Vigil of 1989 I was in the seminary in Rome and the Vatican called and said we would like some of your seminarians to serve at the Easter Vigil with Pope John Paul II and we said okay (laughs) and so they pulled names out of a hat to see who would get to do this my name got pulled we all went down to get our roles assigned and the, um, the master of ceremonies who was going to be dividing up the roles didn't know English that well. And I happened to know Italian well enough to be able to help translate for him and get the different seminarians assigned. So he gave me the best job, which was carrying the Pope's hat. You know what the Pope's hat is called? It's called the mitre. I was going to be the mitre bearer. So the Easter Vigil evening of uh, Holy Saturday, the Easter Vigil is um, showing up and we all go down early to St. Peter's Basilica and we're going to gather just inside the main doors of the church itself. Uh, On the right-hand side is where the... um, where the Pope's sacristy is for celebrations like this. There's also a statue that happens to be over there behind a plexiglass called the Pieta. Now you have to keep a distance from the Pieta and it's behind all of this uh, protective glass. Well, there's a door where you can get through. We got to go through the door. I got to go and be and touch the Pieta. I got to walk around the Pieta and see it from all different angles. I got to write on the Pieta, Tom was here. (laughs) I didn't do that. (laughs) So, but it was just like, wow, wow. And because of my role, I also was going to be in the Pope's vesting sacristy when they were lining up the procession. And so they pointed, the master of ceremonies pointed out to me and said, you're going to be going in there when our Holy Father comes down to get vested. So I decided to go in there early by myself. And so I went into the Pope's vesting sacristy and there was his crozier. Do you know what his crozier is? It's that staff that, if you ever remember, Pope John Paul II had this famous crozier with the crucified Lord that was um, sculpted from a hand drawing of St. John of the Cross, one of his great uh, sort of patron saints who influenced his life deeply. And there it was. I took it, I put my hands around, and I prayed for our Holy Father. I put my hands around the crozier that he carried. And then next to that was the particular, uh, the cross he was going to wear, and the various vestments were laid out. And there was this miter that I was going to be holding during the ceremony at different points. And it was just stunning to me. Well, then some of the other seminarians came in with the Master of They lined us all up and then elevator door opens. Here comes Pope John Paul II. He greets each of us. What's your name? Where are you from? And talks briefly with us. And then he goes into this focused mode of spiritual depth and intensity. He just, he turns to where his vestments are on the table in front of him. And he looks up at the cross of Christ, Christ crucified. And he has two uh, masters of ceremony with him, helping him vest. But he's entirely locked in on the Lord Jesus, praying as he's vesting, being there present. We then all pray together together. And then we go out and get in the processional line. Now, you remember from an earlier presentation that there's a a meaning to the order of the the lineup in the procession. So in the front is the cross bearer, right? And candle bearers. And then you have the lectors. And then you have an order that reflects the status of those who were there. So you have the deacons, and then the priests, and monsignors, and bishops, and archbishops, and cardinals, and then the Pope, and then me. (laughs) My position was behind the Pope. Wow. Ooh, yeah. I was the miter bearer. And so my job was to prayerfully accompany the Holy Father, so that when the time came, I would be able to receive his mitre. So they turn off all the lights in St. Peter's Basilica. I don't know, 15,000 people. It's packed, right? And then we're going to process out of those doors where the Pieta is out to go where the uh, Holy Father is going to light the the fire for the Easter vigil, right? And as we're going out, you hear over the uh, the loudspeakers over the sound system in St. Peter's, no flash photography in like five languages. No flash photography. But on the Easter vigil, when the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, is coming out into St. Peter's in pitch black, do you know what no flash photography means to the 15,000 gathered? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) We go out and I tell you, I felt like a rock star. We walk out and it's just this wall of flash. ( melodramaticinetivities) And here's our Holy Father focused in prayer. And here's behind him the seminarian. (laughs) Mouth open, looking and stunned and awed, what's happening? And sure enough, he goes out and I'm right with him as he's lighting the, the fire. As he is lighting the Easter candle as he's processing into the church. And we see, I get to see up close, not just our Holy Father processing in to the high altar, the main altar at St. Peter's, but I also see the faithful pressing in to be close to, to look upon, to be with the successor of St. Peter, the vicar of Christ on earth, the the shepherd of the universal church, to look at the, uh, the Pope, Papa, John Paul II. And it was so moving. And then we go up to the main altar, which is roped off. You don't get to go up in the main altar unless you're holding his hat. <laughs> and I got to stand up at the top, on the top step at the top level where the altar was. And here I am. And at different points in the mass when the Holy Father would uh, sit down or stand up and I would come and they would give me the hat and I held that hat. I held the mitre for three hours and prayed for the man who wore this mitre, prayed God's blessings in him. And I got to watch as he baptized and then confirmed people from around the world in their own native dress. And, and I could go on and on, but you get this idea. It was just stunning and amazing and awesome and glorious and majestic and overwhelming. And, and then at the end we processed down. And again, the same thing, people in tears as our Holy Father is going by uh, as at the end of this three hour long Easter vigil mass, it's now after midnight uh, and, and we uh, get in and we get um, uh, unvested and, and, and I go back out into St. Peter's Square and there are people dancing in St. Peter's Square, dancing for joy, dancing because Easter joy is here. And, and I get in the middle, I start joining with them. That was the most incredible mass I've ever been to, along with every other one, along with every other mass, any mass, every mass is incredible, filled with God's glory, filled with greatness and majesty. There was something special about that mass for me. But that which makes every mass glorious, majestic, filled with God, has to do with what Christ has established for every mass. That we be drawn up into heavenly worship while on earth. Some masses might, from an external and visible standpoint, do a better job at helping us link the human reality that we see with the reality that is truly occurring at every mass. Heaven touching earth, earth being drawn into heaven. But please, if we have eyes to see, each and every mass is glorious beyond measure, is majestic beyond what we can truly ever plumb the depths of. So let's continue now into the Mass. At the end of the last session, we ended with the uh, prayers of the faithful, the universal prayer, right? Remember the meanings of this. And now we move into the liturgy of the Eucharist. We move, in fact, into the most dramatic part of the Mass as it concerns your action it's the most dramatic part of the mass as it regards your recognition and response to what it is that's showing up in the liturgy what am i talking about the collection no (laughs) gotcha there's a lot of drama there i know that right but that's not what i mean no I'm talking about the presentation and preparation of the gifts. The presentation of the gifts. Presentation of the gifts. What is that? That's when the bread and wine are taken ordinarily from the back of the church by some representative members of family or some members of the community. And they walk up through the community And they present the bread and wine to the priest. The priest in whom Jesus Christ lives and is present and showing up and active in a distinct way. Jesus Christ present in the assembly gathered. Jesus Christ present in the word proclaimed. Jesus Christ present in the priest who presides in a distinct way. And we're gonna see some of the depth of the meaning of the presence of Christ in the priest during this part of the Mass. I'm gonna highlight it here. It's present throughout, but highlight it here. The presentation of the gifts, what's so dramatic about that? People walking from the back of the church to the front with bread and wine. What is that all about? Why is that so dramatic? What does that have to do with me recognizing and responding to anything? Well, let's Pay attention to what's showing up. Let's pay attention to the manner of its appearance. Let's pay attention to the words that are said that we then respond to. Because we know that if we pay attention well, phenomenological method, John Paul II, we're gonna get privileged access to the identity of something. And we also know that the quality of our recognition will be made manifest by our response to what's showing up. So let's pay attention to what's showing up because I've been proposing you through what's showing up. It's not just a what that's showing up, but a who. Jesus Christ is going to show up through the event of the ritual itself in its unfolding. Well, let's start paying attention. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that The bread and wine. What do the bread and wine stand for right now, in this moment, in the ritual of the presentation, the bringing up of the bread and wine and the presentation of them to the priest? What do the bread and wine stand for? They stand for us. The bread and wine. What is that bread and wine? That's you. I'm that bread and wine. Ooh, This is why the bread and wine come from the back of the community, presented from out of the midst of the community by people in the community who walk through the community to say, everybody pay attention. This bread and wine, it's not just something. It's you that's being put into and trusted into the hands of who? Jesus, who's present in this priest. Present, being put into the hands of Jesus. Now let's follow the ritual. Let's follow the unfolding of the mass, of the liturgy. The bread and wine are taken by the priest. And where does he take them? Up to the altar. What happens on an altar? Sacrifice happens on an altar. Sacrifice come from two Latin words that mean to make holy. That which is sacrificed is made holy. That which is made holy is taken out of ordinary usage and set apart for the purposes of God. That which is made holy is taken out of ordinary usage and set apart for the purposes of God. Say that with me that which is made holy is taken out of ordinary usage and set apart for the purposes of god the lamb the goat the, uh, the, the, uh, the 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 cow it is what it's taken out of ordinary usage taken out of the flock no longer belongs to the to the to the flock it's given over to the priest, it's given over to God for God's purposes. It belongs to God. And so the unblemished lamb is sacrificed. It's set apart for God's purposes. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to itself anymore. Everything that is offered in sacrifice no longer belongs to itself but is made holy because it belongs to God. Wait a minute. What's sacrificed? What's brought up to the altar? The bread and wine? Who is brought up to the altar? The bread... You are. You are. You are not ordinary. You are saying, I am taken out of ordinary usage. I Belong to God. God has purposes for my life. I no longer belong to myself, but I am set apart and I belong to him. Now, wait a minute. This sounds all rather dramatic. Is it really a sacrifice that's happening on that altar right now in the mass? Pray, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the almighty father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands. So we're acknowledging in our prayers, what we're recognizing is there's an action of sacrifice occurring right now. That action of being set apart, being made holy, belonging to God is already happening. And it's you right now. That is being set apart let me try to give you an example from life to see if this can become clearer so i used to play this game of poker it was really popular for years and it's it's kind of waning Um, it's a kind of poker called texas hold'em have you ever heard of this or seen it on tv Um, it was really popular for a while i used to play it i don't play it anymore Uh, and and i wasn't very good and i find it kind of boring Uh, except Um, at one part of the game. Because in Texas Hold'em, what happens is everybody gets dealt two cards, like there can be like, I don't know, eight or nine people playing. And then the dealer is gonna put down um, eventually up to five cards. And And the challenge is for me with my two cards to see if my two cards plus three of the cards that are common to everybody are gonna equal a hand that's better than anybody else's. So I gotta figure out my two cards plus three of these better than your two cards plus three of these. And like I said, it's kind of boring, except when one of the players looking at the cards decides to take all of his chips and move them out onto the table, pushing all those chips out onto the table. You know what that's called? It's called going all in. I'm all in. Say that. In. Say louder. I'm all, I'm all in. I'm all in. And when that person is saying, I am all in, One of two things is typically happening. Either that person got two aces, best hand, and saying, my two aces plus three of these cards, I am so confident that my cards are better than anybody else's. I am all in. Well, you know what? I'm bluffing. I got a two and a three. Or I think two and a seven, the worst hand. I got nothing. But I'm going to act like I got something. I'm going to act like I really got something good. And I'm just faking it. This moment at Mass is the most dramatic moment in my opinion for all of us in the community to recognize that which the ritual is saying We are doing. We are called upon to recognize what the Mass is stating ritually that we are doing. We're called upon to see it and to respond to it. What do I mean? The bread and wine, I see the members of the community that have that bread and wine, and now they're carrying them up, and I begin to reflect. Oh, Lord, that's my gift. Lord, that's my life that they are bringing. And they're going to put into the hands of your priest. Lord, they're going to put them into your hands. And so, Jesus, I say to you, please, as that bread and wine come forward, please, I ask you to receive my whole life as a gift. I'm offering my whole life to you. Lord, I give you my wife. I give you my kids. I give you all that I am, all that I have. Lord, I give you my past, as messy as it is. Lord, I give it all to you. Lord, I give you my future. Everything that is to come in my life, I give it to you. I belong to you. I am no longer living for my own purposes, but I know I am asked to be set apart for you, and so I'm yours. I'm all yours. Please, Lord, whatever happens now with my life, may it only be that which you intend. Oh, Lord, I give it all to you. Oh, God, I am all in. In this moment at Mass, you're either all in or you are bluffing. The mass itself asks, calls forth from all of us who are there, the recognition that you are being all in. In that handing over of the bread, in the wine to the priest. That's what the mass says. You're asked to be all in. You can't just go through the motions. You can't just say the words. I I don't belong to myself. I'm yours. And all that I am, and all that I have is yours, completely, freely, forever. I belong to you. Please. Or I'm just bluffing. Now, that's pretty dramatic. That's like, really? That? Why? What's that all about? You remember, we say that we're at Mass for a certain reason. Remember, why are you at Mass? I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. The Mass is saying to you, the Lord is saying to you, do you really want to give God thanks and praise as he deserves? If you really want to give God thanks and praise as he deserves, you see here what it will cost, which is nothing less than everything. In the scriptures, praise and thanks are occasionally preceded by this simple two words, sacrifice of. We don't just give praise to God, but our praise is a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so one of the purposes that bring us to mass traditionally is that here we have the opportunity to offer sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. Now, why do we do this? What's this going to lead to? Let's look at the prayer. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name. There it is. I'm all in as the sacrifice for the praise and glory of his name. That's why I'm here. Ah, how do I achieve the goal? Complete giving of myself to God as a sacrifice of praise. But that's not it. For the praise and glory of his name for our good. Say that, for our good. Do you want good to come to your life? Do you want the good things of God to come to your life? Do you want good to come to your marriage? Do you want good to come to your family? Do you want good to come into all of those things that are so precious to you? If you want good... To come to your life, your son's life, your children's life, your grandchildren's life, your great-grandchildren's life. The best thing you can do to get good to come to your life is to give your life entirely to the one who is all good. You want good to come to your child's life? Put your child on that altar. Lord, I give you Mary Catherine. I give you each of my kids. I give you them entirely, completely, forever. I give you my wife. I give you my marriage. I give you, I give you fill in the blank. It's the path, the surest path to the deepest good coming to our lives because God is all good. God is infinite good. God is perfectly good. And God longs to pour good things into our lives more than we long to receive them from him. And so this act of sacrifice is for the praise and glory of God, but it's for our good. The best thing you can do with your life is to give it to God and the good of all his holy church. Do you want to have a holy church? We have to foster in the church a desire to give ourselves to God. To offer ourselves to God completely, freely, forever. This will foster holiness in the church. This sacrifice, make holy. This is how a holy church will emerge in this world. is through the giving of ourselves completely to God. Completely to God. What's the great sadness? The great sadness is we hear this message. And you know what we can so easily think? Oh man, I'm just bluffing. I want to be all in, but I hold back. God, I give you everything. Well, I give you that hour on Sunday. God, I give you everything. Well, I give you everything but my bank account. Lord, I give you everything except for these plans I have for my life. Lord, I give you everything except how it is I see my kids acting and how they're going to change. There are parts of our lives where we just feel powerless and we feel like a bluff when it comes to this. Acknowledge it because there's a path out of it and it's coming as we walk the path further into the Mass. What happens next in the Liturgy of the Eucharist? Well, we have this beautiful prayer. We have a prayer over the offerings. And then we move into the preface dialogue for the Eucharistic prayer. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Now remember, again, this is a sign of drawing attention to the distinctive presence of Christ in the priest. Because of the special anointing of the Holy Spirit and presence of the Spirit given at ordination the special grace of configuring and conforming the ordained to Christ, the high priest, shows up through our acknowledgement and with your spirit. And that is highlighted in the mass at very distinct moments. This is one of the important moments where that distinction is drawn attention to. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. What does it mean to lift up your heart? Well, what's your heart? You remember, it's the center of who you are as a human being. You give the center of who you are, guess what? Everything else goes with it. So if you're lifting up your heart, what do you think it means to lift up your heart? It means to offer your life as a sacrifice. Ooh, I'm not making this stuff up. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Well, wait a minute. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. What did we used to say? It is right to give him thanks and praise. Why are you at mass? To give God thanks and praise. Now you're seeing how we give God thanks and praise by offering our life to God. But now we say in accord with the more literal recovery of the, of the ancient text, It is right and just. And then we have Father in this dialogical fashion say, it is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God. It then leads to, and so together with all of the angels and all of the saints, we cry out for joy. Holy, holy, holy Lord. The quality of our recognition is made manifest by our response. Together with all the angels and all the saints, together with we who are here on earth, we're drawn up into heavenly worship. There's the sign. It's not hidden. It's not made up. It's not something that's been secret. It's there in the prayer that we've heard for years, for generations, our whole lives. Together with the angels and saints, we cry out for joy in one great voice of praise. What do we then say? Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. That's the first part. Where does that come from? This is a scripture. Where is it from? Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Isaiah 6. Why would the church in this moment want that to be the scriptural reference. What's happening in Isaiah 6? Isaiah, the prophet of God, goes to the temple, the place of God's special presence, and there he's drawn into the worship of heaven, where he hears the angels say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God, hosts. Why do we say it now? Because we, God's holy people, are brought into God's holy place and we are drawn into the worship of God in heaven. And so we cry out with the angels of heaven, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. The church is telling us you see what happened when that scripture was referenced? That's happening now. You're there. Let's continue. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Where's that from? Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Passion Sunday, Palm Sunday, right? What happens when Hosanna in the highest cries out? Jesus Christ enters as king among his holy people in a humble way, humble way on a donkey. What's happening when the people cry out, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people are recognizing that coming into their midst is the king. And, The king, the anointed king sent by God is in their midst and he's coming among them, but in a humble way. And so they respond to that recognition. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Because we are in a moment when Jesus Christ is about to come into our midst as king in a humble way, as the Eucharist. Wow. The prayers are telling us what we should be on the alert for. The prayers are telling us what it is we are to see and how it is we are to respond. Wow. And so we then kneel for the Eucharistic prayer. And in kneeling, We are attending with humility, in reverence and awe before what is about to come into display. What's about to come into display? Well, what's about to come into display is going to be made known to us by the prayer itself. Let's pay attention to the Eucharistic prayer. After an opening, which can be shorter or longer, there are key elements in the Eucharistic prayer. The first is what's called the epiclesis. The epiclesis is that moment where the priest extends his hands or prays and calls down the Holy Spirit upon the bread and wine. To this point, what are the bread and wine symbolizing? To this point, us. They are our offering, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Pay attention, because the Holy Spirit now is being called down upon the bread and wine to do what? To transform bread and wine into the real and true presence of Jesus Christ. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Through what the church in her theology calls the act of transubstantiation, the substance of the bread and wine, not the accidents, not the look and the smell and the feel, but the substance, the essence changes, transformed by an act of God, God's Holy Spirit through the hands of the priest. Did you hear that? Does the priest on his own have the ability to turn bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus? No. Does the Holy Spirit Has God established it that the Holy Spirit can turn bread and wine into Jesus Christ's body and blood? Well, in theory, but in in reality, no. The Holy Spirit is completely dependent upon the ordained priest to perform the ritual that Christ has established in accord with what the church has established and continues. Wow. Does the priest need the Holy Spirit, or does the Holy Spirit need the priest? Yes. It's both. The Holy Spirit needs the priest to call down the Holy Spirit. The the priest needs the Holy Spirit to come down when called upon. So that bread and wine will no longer be bread and wine. I can go up there and say the prayers, I'm not ordained, nothing happens. We can sit there and hope that it happens, apart from a priest, not going to happen. We need the ordained priest performing the ritual established by God through Christ and continued by the church so that the Holy Spirit will come to bring about this transformation. This is stunning. This is stunning. Now, what we see happen in the life of the priest at Mass in this moment is An analogy. There's a certain way that it's also true for you in your life in the world. Do do you need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to effectively share the good news of your faith with your loved ones? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit need you to be able to effectively share the gospel with your loved ones? Well, kind of, sort of. Well, he wills it. He's established it for you to do that and and if it doesn't happen through you he can work around you but that wasn't what he intended when he established you in those relationships he established you to be the one to be able to do that that he would work through so the epiclesis pay attention to the epiclesis The second is what's called the the prayer of consecration in the institution narrative. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread in his sacred hands and looking up to you as heavenly father. And it goes on from there, right? And what do we have in in this moment, this institution narrative? We have the priest beginning by setting the context Referencing the moment of the Last Supper. But then he goes from telling the story of the Last Supper to quoting in word and gesture the reality of the Last Supper. There is a re-presenting of the Last Supper. A making present again of what Jesus did. And he does this through quoting. What does he say? Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying, For you, I am all in. Jesus' death on the cross is what's anticipated prophetically by jesus at the last supper he's anticipating he's giving his apostles and all of us down through history the ability to get an insight into the events of the days to come he's taking the passover supper this supper this ritual of remembrance established by god in order to remember to make real in the present the reality of the exodus And he's saying, that covenant, I'm going to make a new covenant that will last forever. And in this new covenant, I am the sacrificial lamb. I am the one sacrificed so that you can be set free. So he's anticipating the actions of Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, and his ascension into heaven. And so what Jesus makes anticipates in the Last Supper, he asks us, to remember, to remember. Now, remember what remember means. Remember doesn't just mean recall facts and hold them present in your mind. That's not remember the way that it's being talked about here. The concept of remember, anamnesis in Greek, is this idea that that which is remembered Through a ritual of remembrance established by God, that which is remembered is made effectively present to those who are celebrating the ritual. Those who celebrate the ritual come into contact, living contact, effective contact with the presence of the event that is being remembered. Is that too theoretical? Think of the Passover meal. It was a ritual of remembrance of the Exodus. The Exodus is what, right? You have the fleeing from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, going through the desert into the promised land, right? The, The great event of the Exodus is remembered through the Passover meal. When the Israelites, a thousand years later, are eating the Passover meal, how do they eat it? They eat it with their loins girt, okay? On the count of three, girt your loins. One, two, three hike up your garment. Well, why would you eat a meal with your garment hiked up? Run! You can move faster. Well, why would they do that when they're eating the meal? Because it's a way of showing those who ate the meal, you're actually present at the event of fleeing Egypt. Remember the eating the bitter herbs during the meal? That's remembering your bitter slavery in Egypt. I wasn't in bitter slavery in Egypt. You are now through the participation in the ritual of remembrance. You share in the reality of being set free from slavery, being cleansed and learning what it means to be God's people and being deployed into the promised land of God's good things. That's what the ritual of remembrance does. Those who weren't present in that moment of time through the ritual of remembrance are brought into the presence of that event because that event breaks into the present of those who celebrate that ritual of remembrance. So the mass as a ritual of remembrance established by God in Jesus Christ, continued by the church, is having us remember make present the events of what? What are called the Paschal mystery, the mystery of the passing over from death to life of Jesus Christ. The Paschal mystery is Jesus's passion and death on the cross, his descent among the dead, his resurrection on Easter Sunday, and his ascension into heaven. That reality is the Paschal mystery that reality is breaking in at every Mass through the ritual that Christ established and said, do this in remembrance of me. He says that, and we now are brought into the presence of it. Well, wait a minute. That sounds all rather dramatic, Tom. Let's see what the prayers actually say the mystery of faith and that's what the priest says mystery of faith listen we proclaim your death O lord and profess your resurrection until you come again wait a minute two elements to note there one is what events are being identified We proclaim, we announce, we are acknowledging that we are in the presence of your death, O Lord. We profess your resurrection. And until you come again, you've ascended into heaven and now we're awaiting your return. So we proclaim that, we announce that, we're saying this is the great mystery of faith that we're in the presence of, That reality has been made present to us. We're there at the cross of Christ. We're there at the resurrection. We're there as he ascends into heaven. We're now looking with the apostles and disciples for your return. And that's the second point to notice is the you, the personal address. We proclaim, listen, look, we proclaim your death. Oh, Lord, where is the you that's being identified? The Eucharist, the precious blood. We proclaim, Jesus, your death. And we profess your resurrection until you come again. You were present here now in a distinct way. You weren't a few moments ago. You are now. That's what's being drawn attention to in this prayer of the mystery of faith. How can we possibly be Catholic and not believe in miracles? I mean, how? When we, at, mass, at Mass, what goes up to the altar? Bread and wine. What comes down from the altar? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes down from the altar. Jesus, what goes up is bread and wine. What comes down is God. The risen Lord, the glorified Lord and God, Jesus Christ, is here. Miracles are nothing compared to the supernatural intervention we witness at every Mass. But as we know, St. Bonaventure tells us, the quality of your recognition is made manifest by your response. We respond with such dull faith because our eyesight is so poor. It's not that these events are not happening at every Mass. It's that we're not seeing them at every Mass. And what's the great hope? How many of you felt pretty bad when I said you're either all in or you're bluffing? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I don't like my life anymore. I, I, I want to be all in, but I'm, just, I'm so bluffing. And how can I come to God with this perfect act of praise and thanksgiving? Remember, who's the primary actor at Mass? It's Jesus. Jesus is the primary actor. And what do we do? We get to have our actions be plunged, immersed, entrusted, given into his action so our act of being all in of giving ourselves over completely oh man i'm so weak it's so poor it's so imperfect it's so fragile my giving myself over to god well jesus says hop on i got this what you cannot do on your own i will do in you and for you on your behalf in your place and for your sake, I will offer the Father the perfect, infinitely perfect, the holy, the infinitely holy, the faithful, the ever faithful act of a sacrifice of praise and thanks to the Father. And what will that do? That will remove all that blocks me from receiving the salvation of God that will take away all that separates me from God's gracious and abundant blessing and anointing. And so what happens now in the Eucharistic prayer? Gates of heaven are open. Look, we're present at that which God has established through Christ as the means of bringing salvation to the world. What do we start doing? Praying. Let's pray for everybody. We acknowledge this, O oh Lord, and what do we do? Let's pray for the Pope. Let's pray for the bishops. Let's pray for the clergy. Let's pray for all the church and for us and, and, and for the church scattered throughout the world. Let's pray for, for those who have died and, and let's pray for those who are alive. Let's pray for everybody. We've got great confidence now. Salvation has come. Wash over the world. That's what we're in the presence of. We're in the presence of God's act of bringing salvation to the world. and We want everyone to have this overflowing, filling uh, blessing of God's salvation, won by Christ, and now present in our midst at the mass. And then we end. How do we end this great Eucharistic prayer? Father lifts up, not bread and wine, Jesus Christ present as Eucharist and his precious blood. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, it's Jesus. And what does Father say? Through him, Not through this, through him, with him, and in him. Remember our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving? Well, now it's going to go through his, it's going to be with his, and it's going to be plunged into his. Through him, with him, and in him. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Why are you at Mass? I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. How in the world can I possibly give God the thanks and praise as he is due? I do so through him, with him, and in him, Jesus, the great high priest, who acts through his priest at every mass so that my all-in sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as weak and full of bluffing as it is becomes purified and transformed and elevated to be counted along with Jesus's and thus is made acceptable to the Father. Mission accomplished. And so we say, Not just amen, but it's called the great amen. It's to be, yes, I made it, I did it, the great amen. Mass isn't done though. Tomorrow we'll explore the great mystery of receiving Holy Communion as we explore the rest of this walk through the Mass.